Hello. This is episode 25 of the podcast called Blood and Rain. I'm your host, Arthur Day. Because we don't know when we will die, we get to think of life as an inexhaustible well. Yet everything happens only a certain number of times, and a very small number, really. How many more times will you remember a certain afternoon of your childhood, an afternoon that is so deeply a part of your being that you can't even conceive of your life without it? Perhaps four or five times more, perhaps not even that. How many more times will you watch the full moon rise? Perhaps twenty. And yet it all seems limitless. For Brandon and Eliza, ever joined in true love's beauty. That was the inscription of the tombstone of the late, great Brandon Bruce Lee. Of course, the son of the great Bruce Lee. He was a son, a martial artist, a rising star. like his father, was gone too soon. He was eight when his father, Bruce Lee, died. And he was 28 when he died on March 31st, 1993, for being shot on set for a film while he was in studio in Wilmington, North Carolina. I had the privilege of visiting him in his father's grave. Of course, you know all about Bruce Lee, but Brandon Lee was, was truly father, falling in his father's footsteps and making a legacy of his own. He grew up having been born in Oakland, California, where I'm from. And they moved to Hong Kong in 1971, the whole family that is, where Bruce Lee made several films and Brandon became fluent in Cantonese. After his father's death in 1973, the family returned to the United States. Brandon attended the Chadwick School until he was expelled for insubordination. Very much like his father, he was a man who marches to his own beat. After attaining a GED, he enrolled in Emerson College in Boston before moving to New York City to attend the Lee Strasberg Academy Acting School and join the American New Theater. He made his film debut on American television in Kung Fu the Movie in 1986. His feature film debut was in the Hong Kong-produced Cantonese-language film Long Zai Jung Fu in 1986. He returned to American television in 1987 for Kung Fu The Next Generation and a short-lived role in the television series O'Hara. In 1990, he starred in his first English-language feature film, Laser Mission, which he followed with his breakthrough role in Showdown in Little Tokyo. His first starring role was the action-adventure Rapid Fire in 1982. He was then cast as Eric Draven in The Crow, which was based on the comic of the same name. The production of the film was plagued with numerous problems from the beginning of filming, including injuries among the crew. 
A week before the scheduled end of production, they were running behind schedule and it was decided that dummy rounds using the firearms would be made from real cartridges. On the third take of the evening, the cameras began to roll and Lee entered the scene in progress. He was shot at as scripted. Lee fell backwards against the door and it collapsed. It was then discovered that he was bleeding from the abdomen and slipping into shock. An, an ambulance was called. At the hospital, five hours of surgery was unable to save the actor's life. A fragment of a dummy bullet had apparently been lodged in the barrel of the gun, and the blank charge on fire propelled the fragment into Lee's abdomen where it lodged near his spine. He died shortly after his fiancée, Eliza Hutton, arrived at the hospital just after one in the morning. Sorry, one in the afternoon. Investigation found Lee's death to be accidental. And while it, was while it was attributed to negligence on the part of the film, film crew, no criminal charges were filed. His funeral was held in Seattle, Washington, and attended by over 400 people. He was interred beside his father. With the support of Lee's mother and fiance, The Crow was completed and released in May 1994. The closing credits included the dedication for Brandon and Eliza. I recently had an afternoon that changed my life. I went to Seattle, Washington with my mother to basically keep her safe and accompany her as she was potentially looking for a new home. She potentially seen a new home in Seattle, Washington, and this is a city I've wanted to travel to for quite some time, and for whatever reason, never have, despite being only two hours away by plane in the Bay Area. I had been mesmerized by watching television shows like Grey's Anatomy and even earlier, Frasier, seeing this Emerald City. Emerald, of course, because of all the trees. Just absurdly green trees. And the beautiful, vast nature that surrounds the city. And the spirit of it, the ambiance, the, the essence, the zeitgeist of certain eras that made Seattle what it is today. I've always been truly mesmerized, mesmerized by it just by seeing video of it. The band that truly saved my life, Nirvana, of course, came as the tip of the spear in the true popularity of the grunge music movement. Grunge music, for those of you who don't have a clear definition of what that is, um, it's essentially music with the weight of metal and the pace of punk. These are your Nirvana's Audio Slave. Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots, Pearl Jam, Bush, Candlebox, Filter, Melvin's Malfunction, Green River, all these incredible bands, Temple Dog, Alice in Chains, these are the bands that I grew up with while I was an absolute punk in high school.
These are the bands I was listening to while I was defacing school property and writing in my notebook when I had recently learned to love to write thanks to an English teacher of mine. And I... This city was always in my psyche. But something that was more of a backdrop had emerged far more than I realized. There was this tie in the entire West Coast of the United States. There was this tie in my journey as a martial artist. So many things that were linked together, I had no clue really were linked as such. I went through a very horrific summer, the summer of 09. I've spoken about it before, and it was Kurt Cobain's psyche bleeding through the music of Nirvana that spoke out to me and told me I wasn't alone in what it was that I was going through. Not, not to... I'm not going to get into the situation in the summer of 09 because there are details of such that are not mine to tell. However, it was truly the worst point of my life. I was 14 going on 15, and I was in a very dark frame of mind. And I had loving parents who were trying to console me through it, but I felt, you know, that the communication was off. They couldn't really quite understand. And it's not, uh, they'll never understand mom and dad, but it was, there was a disconnect there. Uh, there's a disconnect through other people who were close to me and were trying to help, and I, I really appreciated their help, but I wasn't able to show that at the time. I, there, nothing was really resonating with me. Two guys from a Boy Scout camp that I met, one from San Francisco and the Ringer, and one very comedic man, a Creek comedic boy at least, from Sacramento. They, uh, they got me through some tough times that summer in Boy Scout camp. But it was Kurt Cobain's music that really touched my psyche and looked me dead in the eyes, provided a mirror, and also told me, this is, you're not alone in this, you're not the only one like this at this age. It's a piece I wrote about Kurt himself after returning from Seattle. It's a tale end of the 2000s and the dawn of the 2010s coming off the worst summer of my life and I've become a total punk. I was supposed to be the high school's ace quarterback. Throwing 60-yard line drives at 12 years old in middle school will certainly paint that kind of writing on the wall. No one told me I despised trust fund babies, though. No one told me there was a severe lack of real toughness there and that I'd give way to cynicism. I liked competition. I liked throwing bombs into the end zone. But I also like Russian literature, misfit music, the outdoors, and studying World War I ad nauseum. And honestly, no one really taught me how to navigate that properly, so I just disengaged from all of it. I like football, but not enough to hang out with the people who played it at my high school because I just didn't want to play the part. I just couldn't do it. 
It wasn't until lunchtime intramural scrimmage flag football that the Gucci belt wearing rich kids realized that I could have had the starting spot if I wanted it. They even asked why I wasn't on the team. I already have to spend my school days with you fucks, what makes you think I want to spend after school with you too? This is learned behavior. Learned behavior from the guy who channeled a fuck you energy that is very seldom matched. The reluctant rock star who became a martyr for the misfits. The same rock star that made a three-year-old instinctually headbang in the back of his father's car, causing his father to almost crash the car from the double takes laced with complete disbelief. Three-year-old Arthur never saw anyone headbang before, yet there I was in the back of my dad's car, shaking his skull up and down to Smells Like Teen Spirit by the greatest artist of the past 30 years, Nirvana. Fast forward 12 years, and that's all I was listening to while I was wearing nothing but black and flannels, regularly shooting myself in the foot because fuck you, that's why. Flipping double birds, teachers and students alike, vandalizing school property, getting in fights on and off campus, drinking Jack Daniels with a pair of wrestlers I got along with before going to track practice, and beginning to learn how to write and how to love to write. Whether he intended to teach me how or not, the greatest teacher I ever had, an English teacher, taught me how to bleed at the typewriter just like Hemingway instructed. I had a lot to bleed. I had a lot of flashbacks playing over and over in my head tied to tragedy and trauma I certainly wasn't old enough or ready to experience. One song in the background tied to it, once again sung by the same guy. A lot of people say, blank band saved my life. Honestly, Kurt Nirvana saved mine. So to be in Seattle, at Sub Pop Records is the next best thing to being in Aberdeen, Kurt's hometown. Seeing these pictures and these books that they provided is like seeing myself in my youngest, rawest form. All I can really say is thanks, Kurt. I wouldn't be here without your violently uncompromising personality and soul. I can see why Seattle is the perfect storm of a place for you. May your murder be avenged. Now this is one of two people, one of three people really, who had this giant impact on me. One taught me how to be an artist, one taught me how to heal, one taught me how to process trauma, one taught me how to lash out. One taught me how to be compromising and uncompromising, that is. And the impact I wanted to make on the world, whether big or small, and Kurt never really wanted to make that big an impact, but whether he liked it or not, the entire world was listening to his words. That was there from three years old onwards. The first time my dad played Smells Like Teen Spirit in the car and I was headbanging in the back of the car and my dad couldn't believe it. Just being that therapy 
and all apologies song off of the album in utero having that song be healing and medicine for the hardest time of my life the time of my life I really never got over honestly just healed from I never got over it's truly changed after that time being the loud anthems in which I lashed out my return to Trust Fund Baby Central. Then there was the fighting in the background. Then there was the longing to have this martial path. I saw Mike Tyson fight Lennox Lewis at seven years old and fell in love with the sport of boxing. I asked my mother if I could box at seven years old and my Sicilian overprotective mother screamed no. Didn't stop me uh, when I got just a bit of student loan money in England to starting Muay Thai. And hence was this post regarding Bruce Lee. If Kurt saved my life, Bruce taught me how to live it. There was an individual intensity and aggression that wasn't suited for the team sport I was quote-unquote destined to play in high school. Being a track athlete allowed me to be on my own, but the sport wasn't enough. I enjoyed running, but it didn't cover all the bases. I had heard of Bruce Lee in passing before, but never really took the time to understand who he was. My only experience with any formal and any study of fighting was watching Mike Tyson and Fernando Vargas box. It prompted a seven-year-old me to come up to my mother and ask her if I could box, a request she responded with a Sicilian motherly rage, screaming no. That didn't stop me from getting into countless scraps in high school before I moved to England and with little extra student loan money walking the doors of a Muay Thai gym. Two punches and a kick on a free pad work session told me enough. It told me I'd be doing it for the rest of my life. I needed something more complete for my being, however. The motions themselves weren't enough. Being obsessive about keeping the elbows tucked in my straight punches, placing the plant foot in just the right spot for my low kicks, and timing the clinch entry just right wasn't enough. The movements gave way to an essence I did not fully understand, but I was fully aware from the get-go that the essences pointed right back to the movements themselves. They were one and the same. However, I did not understand the essence above that tied everything together from each and every movement. The philosophy of being. There was no book of five rings, truly called the book of five scrolls, to teach me about life every single day in my worldview at this point. What I had were videos of Bruce Lee explaining the philosophy of his martial arts. What I did have were all types of clips of old-time Bruce Lee explaining that martial arts is an authentic expression of oneself while I was cultivating the practice of being anyone and everyone else in drama school. Pieces of the self are used to craft character on stage, but the ring is a whole different kind of stage entirely. It's you and only you. To be anything else or anything less is diminished combat. 
Even if you're a master of deception in the way of your combat, this is still the authentic performance of the self, to be a master of deception. I came to this gravesite just an hour and a half before my flight. I put my mother on a train back to the Seattle airport to catch her flight home, and I knew I needed to come here alone. To come here with someone else, even someone who knows me as well as one of my parents, would be to diminish the truth of the encounter. The gravesite sits upon a hilltop cemetery near the center of the city. The climb up was a trance-inducing and narrative in nature. I was following what Google Maps was saying until I instinctively knew where to go. To kneel, swear an oath in front of him in a shining example of the sun and to God, was the only action that could have ever been truth. To remember why I started and to declare how I will finish fully in truth. He wouldn't accept anything less. If there was a time to match the darkness of that summer of 09, it was the winter of 2013 going into 2014. And I was truly distraught. Once again, I won't go into details. That's not what this is about. Listeners, none of you need to know, maybe at least not for now, what it is that I was going through. But the therapy this time came in my favorite thing to do. Martial arts. Not just the martial arts of the body, but the entire being, the mind, the spirit. And studying Bruce Lee was to study all of that being thrown together, all of that being aligned, integrated. And I began, once again, to truly enjoy my own company. began to absolutely grow exponentially. I had started Muay Thai while being in drama school. And it was the perfect balance because I was so good at being everybody else. But this is something that demanded that I be myself and figure out who that is exactly. Bruce Lee would have wanted. 
the highest, fullest expression of myself. He wanted that of everyone. He saw martial arts as the greatest path to that, and I have to agree. Martial arts has the harshest teachers. Those harshest teachers bring up the best in every martial artist. Should each martial artist choose to listen? I've been off my path before. If you listen to this podcast, you know that. I've been in the diminished path before. I've been in the lapsed path. I've questioned. But as I stated in that post, I came to Seattle already pre-mesmerized. I came to Seattle already son of the West Coast. The United States wild West Coast. Bruce Lee born in San Francisco. Brandon Bruce Lee born in Oakland. Both buried in Seattle. The greatest stage for Kurt Cobain. The man who saved a young teenager's life once again back down in the Bay Area. I couldn't come to Seattle and not face these men. Not be face to face with them. It's taken me a while to process Seattle. It all happened so fast. Such a short period of time I received until moving and kind of come back straight to work and making sure that my mother was safe. I had to deal with some, some aggressive homeless people, you know, up in our presence when we first arrived. And the next day we spent much time at Pike's Place Market and just exploring and checking out the University of Washington. I was doing everything that my mother wanted to do, like being a good son. And I got some time away to write, and I got some time away to drink some coffee, and I got some time away to to go to the amazing powerlifting gym. But there were two things I knew I needed to do. And I knew I needed to do it alone. I needed to go to the Sub Pop Records store. Sub Pop Records being the record company of all the great grunge bands. And I needed to go to Bruce Lee's grave. I put my mother on the train back to the airport. And I hopped on one of those bizarre little scooters to the sub pop record store and I started reading books of accounts and photos of Kurt Cobain. Taking a look at those photos of him, just taking a look at me in high school, might as well be the same. being face to face with that and thanking him. With the Grunge Museum being closed and not being able to go out to Aberdeen, his hometown, just thanking him for saving my life. For my bloodshed not being in vain. And I got in a scooter all the way to the Arboretum on a hill in Seattle. 
until, like I said, I instinctually found Bruce and Brandon Lee's graves. There's a picture of Bruce Lee on his grave, and it's staring at you. It's small, but it's, oh my God, it's powerful. It's staring at you. Look with these piercing eyes, basically saying, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you not live to your greatest potential? How dare you be someone else? I never swore an oath. I've sworn oaths, religious, I've sworn oaths to others. I don't swear oaths to myself. And I knelt and in front of God, swore and in front to God and in front of Bruce and Brandon Bruce Lee. Swore that I would give everything I had. To being the absolute greatest martial artist I could be, the greatest man I could be, the greatest champion that I could be. And then I narrowly made it home. I sprinted down the hill from the cemetery, caught an Uber back to SeaTac, sprinted through security, and barely got the plane back to Oakland. Back to where Bruce Lee started teaching Jikundo and back to where Brandon Bruce Lee was born. I'm not the same guy. Not after that. It all tied together. And I can ignore it. I have ignored it for a couple days, honestly. I've ignored it for a week, really. Just the white noise. Work and finances and this and that. And Aaron's getting business done. And it's all fucking nonsense. Stuff I'm not going to remember in four years. So what the fuck does it matter? Going to Seattle, a city I've never been before. A city I've never been to before is actually, in a way, just seeing my entire life. It was rejuvenating. It was otherworldly, but it was also familiar at the same time. To be under the rain. To be surrounded by nature. To be surrounded by memories in a city I've never been to. I can't ask for anything more, really. 
sure I can, I guess, for posterity and peace. And I've always prayed for my loved ones, but when it comes to myself, to have my life saved. Have someone show me who I am and how to live. By the grace of God. Coming back down from the mountain, as every warrior must do, you climb. Climb up and the climb down are equally important. I'm climbing down. I feel old again. through my veins, a blessing, visiting a city of rain, see my entire life again right after Pascha, right after Easter, this beautiful gift. I felt everything came full circle after three years, a strange, strange journey. Having that reflection. All I can say now that since everything only happens so many times, it's not as inexhaustible well. I want to live a life that I will remember fondly and I will remember looking back truly fulfilled. I hope after listening to this, Maybe that was what some of you needed. As I know, it certainly was what I needed. I'm seeking these afternoons that are so deeply a part of my being that I can't even conceive of life without them. These experiences that leave us fully changed for the better. Sometimes frighteningly so. Sometimes it's a very haunting experience. And I hope you all seek those same experiences to live a life looking back. You can be fulfilled and reflecting upon. So all I can say now in living that is knowing this from dusk till dawn, islander the pain. So keep your leisure in unearned sunshine, and I'll take blood and rain. Good night, and good storms. Thank you.